A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Mold to Gold podcast, and we will be here with our regular host, Jonathan Hope, and the best organizer in fermentation, perhaps the most important community officer within the UK, Eleni. Now we are gonna be talking about koji and fermentation and everything under the sun that rots and molds. Jonathan, (laughs) would you like to take it away? Delicious, delicious bacteria. Yes, please. Uh, yeah, we are. It's my pleasure to um, to be driving Robin and Eleni to Sheep Drove Farm this morning, and um, so why not? Why not have a podcast? Always, always podcasting. Um, would you maybe we start by Eleni? If you introduce yourself and tell us, tell us what you do. Um, yes. Or tell us what you're up to this summer because you're you're doing some super interesting uh, projects. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Excited to be going to Sheep Drove to see Sander again after our latest event in London this past Sunday at 180 Strand. We did the fermentation celebration, the first event for our guild. Um, So this summer I am traveling for different fermentation projects. Some of them are talks and workshops like I was in Berlin last month giving a workshop and then I went to Milan and I hosted um, a design exhibition as part of Milan Design Week whereby I invited people to interact with live ferments and increase their consciousness about our interdependence with microbes. <laughs> Amazing. Sorry, can you talk us through, like, if you were, if you were a person coming to this exhibition, what, what would they... What's the journey they go on? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing was um, a nuka doko bed was nuka soil but an adaptation using the coffee grounds from the cafe of the cultural center where the exhibition was taking place so the initial uh, idea and project was started by um, researcher and designer Kajal Modi um, who then invited me to take over the project and co-create uh, and adapt it to my own um, adapta- uh, my own interpretation there. So I collected the coffee grounds in the morning as I was doing a residency for two weeks and I was feeding the nuka bed with 
uh, offcoats of vegetables, uh, unpasteurized beer and salt. It was actually a recipe <laughs> <laughs> adapted by Dr. Johnny Drain. So people were invited to mix the nuca soil, aka coffee, with their hands so they would then pass their son mat, their microbiome from their hands to the soil which would then activate the fermentation base for pickling veg uh, a week or 10 days later basically. Wow, sorry, for, for the uninitiated, uh, nukodoku is... Um is it traditionally made with rice, rice bran? Yeah. Yes, bran and vegetables in Japan, vegetable offcuts. And so, if you were doing a, the traditional way, it's, it's rice bran and, and water and salt. Uh, they also use beer. Or it depends. Uh, okay. It can be yeah, it can be water. I think works as well. Mm -hmm. nice. And then you put your pickles, you bury your pickles underneath in this like rice bran sludge. Exactly. So once it's been activated with the offcuts that feed feed the pickling base, you can then use it as an ongoing um, base for other pickles. Amazing. So you bury vegetables underneath. So you're taking yeah. So you're taking raw vegetables mm -hmm. and you're putting mm -hmm. them to bed. Mm -hmm. You're burying them in, under this salty, <laughs> exactly salty mush. Yeah, and some people keep their nukadoko bed for like years. Wow, so it's like a perennial ferment, mm -hmm, it's like a mm -hmm. you can just keep going. And yeah, 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 sort of. And then the next part of the exhibition was um, just the sourdough, as simple as it sounds, because especially in a place like Italy where the exhibition was taking place, people rely on daily bread and pizza and, of course, sourdough. But they don't often think about how in order to get that, they need to look after uh, their pasta madre, as they call it in Italy. Um, so I had a little activity where people were just using my starter and making their own starter to take home if they wanted. Uh, so it's more about uh, enabling conversations around that. And lastly, I had some kombuchas going on because again, people often just pick a kombucha off the supermarket shelf but they don't really think where it comes from and some of them were very surprised to see the scoby the mother how um yeah kind of impressive it was it's like <laughs> full of molds jar uh, it was very beautiful and it was changing colors almost every day and then i was bottling them putting different flavors so some of them they were catching the kombucha in different stages yeah, so that was uh, Milan. <laughs> oh, and how, how were the Milanese, did the, did the local population really engage with it? Actually, you'd be surprised at how not very aware people were in Milan of kombucha. Uh, whereas here, I think every single person has tried kombucha because it's so widely available in the supermarket. Uh, in Milan, I would have to go to an organic shop and I couldn't even find it like fresh. They just had it pasteurized on a shelf. But that might just be the case in Milan because some other areas of Italy, like Emilia Romagna, um, are much more ahead with uh, fermentation. Okay. Um, yeah. Nice. Um, maybe we um, maybe we get Robin to to take part and tell us what he. Well, introduce yourself, Robin, for the the uninformed for the people who do not know you um, well my name's Robin Sheriff and I run a Koji producing company in Edinburgh and now that predominantly produces 
a dried koji for home chefs and for um, restaurants throughout the UK and whilst I do that as a producer as well I travel throughout the UK teaching workshops on how to use solid substrate fermentation and enzymatic fermentation along with koji across as I say the UK and with lots of other fermenters um, on a collaborative basis. Are you, um, have you got a busy schedule the, the rest of the summer or are you winding down now? Oh no, no, it's, uh, there's no winding down, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's almost constant, um, which is lovely because I've got classes uh, uh, um, in Bristol and in Dorset and in Glasgow and in Edinburgh and in London um, and in Newcastle and Liverpool, so just uh, uh, never, never ending. fermentation or bacterial forced, forced fermentation um, and the utilization of the different enzymes that koji produces and miso is a wonderful tool to show that because most people are fairly comfortable with the idea of miso but they're interested in the production of it. Nice. How did you um, how did you get into it in the first place? Were you, were you a chef by trade or um, I would I, I would say unequivocally not a chef. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I mean I I have a bit of a weird journey towards koji. So originally I studied chemistry and biology. Then I worked in a whole host of different jobs, including animal vaccine modelling and being fudge maker and managing confectionery plant and uh, <laughs> being a brand ambassador for whiskey and being a park ranger and a secretary for an optometrist and a line cook and a bar manager and just various other nonsense. Um, so you couldn't hold down a job? Um, well, there's that and also I, I just I don't really like having a boss. <laughs> um, but then I um, studied a master's in gastronomy so it wasn't the one that everyone will know that's associated with the slow food movement in Italy. There's actually a weird offshoot of that in Edinburgh, Queen Margaret. Um, and gastronomy is less involved in the specificity of food and how to make that super interesting. It's actually more focused on food systems and how the food gets to the plate. So rather than just the food itself, it's how how the plate was made, how much was the person paid that made the plate, how, what was the logistics company that got the food to the restaurant, how was the soil health of where the food was grown, so it's rather than focus purely on the food, it's actually more about the, the, the system that predicates it. Now, that actually leads out into cultural aspects of food and why people eat differently and the thing that I really focused on was food philosophy things like um, the writing by Julian Pagini which 
everyone should read because his uh, Julian, sorry, Julian Bagini. He's a Bristol-based philosopher, and he writes an enormous amount of uh, work on the philosophy of food, which is wonderful. And I became very interested in this and decided to write my thesis on Japanese whiskey. Well, a comparative study of Japanese whiskey and Scottish whiskey. So I moved to Japan for three months to write my thesis and travel around Japan drinking Japanese whiskey. It was a really tough <laughs> piece of additive <laughs> research. Um, but as part of that, I thought it was like, it was very important to actually pay some credence towards Japanese native alcohols, so sake and shochu. And there was one particular sake brewer that just lived up the road from where I lived in Kyoto. And I basically just knocked on the door and I was like, here mate, uh, who's the boss? And he was like, I'm the boss. Uh, and, and I was like, can you show me your gaff? And he was like, aye. Um, so he showed me through uh, this this uh, uh, sake brewery, which ostensibly just looked like a microbrewery, just smelled a bit different. And then he, he basically said, uh, do you want to see the Kojimura? And I was like, what's a Kojimura? Yes, show me it. And Kojimura basically means Koji room. So he took me upstairs to this sort of like circular room that was kind of a cross between a Hobbit door and like a submarine door and cracked it open and it was this cedar clad room full of trays with moldy rice and if anyone, as you probably found as well, if anyone is familiar with uh, western food dogma, you see rice that's been left out for five hot minutes and your warning bells go off and you're like, oh my god, oh my god, you're gonna die! Um, but he explained to me how enzymes function within this and how Aspergillus oryzae, which is the mold that grows on koji, actually provides a protective environment against pathogenic bacteria and pathogenic microbes. Um, and then we just drank heaps of sake and uh, got absolutely steaming. But then I came home <laughs> from writing that masters and just got obsessed with this idea of koji because it's got so many different applications, be that soy sauce or tamari or miso or sake or shochu, basically every condiment or many condiments from India and farther east from that are based on this incredible mold which changes materials from one thing into the other. And so I became utterly and completely obsessed with it and then uh, went back to Japan at the start of 2020 and I was planning on living there for six months and studying under, under miso makers and working with sake brewers but then, uh, then 2020 happened so I had to come home and then I was like okay well just put your working boots on and start, start teaching what you know about koji and trying to spread what you know because you don't own this knowledge and it's it's important to share that and pay credence to the people you learned it from. So yeah, there there you go. That's how that's that's ten years of my life <laughs> in five whole minutes. Man, that's amazing. The um where do we go? Um Eleni, maybe can you tell us about what you're doing? Can you tell us about what you're doing next month? In, um, did you say it was Poland? Yeah, uh, Poland. But perhaps first, 
Maybe I should also give a little context as to why I'm speaking about fermentation. Because um, I don't think I introduced myself properly. <laughs> so my journey in fermentation also kind of started with koji from a different source but then I kind of got obsessed with it for similar reasons as Robin so um, um, my background is in hospitality and tourist management I spent eight years working in hotels restaurants uh, fine dining restaurants so there was a lot of experimentation with koji as we see in the Michelin world and chefs incorporating koji into the dishes not to just, not just to elevate flavor but to perhaps give uh, perceived higher level of um, quality and elegance to their menu and um, I was fascinated when one night I, I walked in the kitchen at like 2 a.m. at the end of the shift and there was this like accelerating aroma of koji and I was like what is this this is this smells very different to anything I've smelled before and they explained what it was and that was my first like um, introduction to koji um, after that, I took on a project as the opening manager for a zero-waste restaurant, so had to start lacto-fermentation to preserve the off-cuts of vegetables. So that was, again, first little baby steps into fermentation. And as I was um, also having similar questions to Robin in regard to the food system, why are diners so detached from the source, the supply chain, different steps involved, uh, the produce why do they just care about taking a picture and not asking more questions about how the food they had in front of them ended up there I decided to do a master's in anthropology of food and because I did have a, a, a real interest in Japanese food culture ever since my time in Asia as part of my first degree I did um, in Hong Kong at Polytechnic University of Hong Kong when I visited Japan, I was like, this is where I want to be. So ever since, uh, I've never stopped thinking about Japan. And I wanted to dig deeper into Japanese food culture and their customs and traditions and ethics. Uh, the us embedded in like Washoku, the national cuisine of Japan. Um, so I was trying to pick uh, an element to focus on because, of course, uh, national cuisine is so diverse, especially in Japan. Then I got told about um, how many different varieties of miso there are in Japan, traditional speaking, not the kind of stuff you do, <laughs> Jonathan. And I was fascinated. I was like, how is that even possible? <laughs> or McDonald's miso or marshmallow miso. I've heard they've had that for 2,000 years. So, yeah, I got really interested in uh, miso. And then when I had the realization that koji was this secret ingredient behind soy sauce that we all consume even from like fast food chains and in our household pantries it's like okay this is crazy especially when I found out that koji was declared as Japan's national mold and it's the first country to declare a national mold maybe the last <laughs> um, so I got into more like anthropological queries of um, what is national, what is regional, what makes it a, a mold of Japan necessarily when you actually see soy sauce in China. So, uh, and then I came across Kojikon, the first conference dedicated to a mold that took place during COVID. 
and then we had the rising um, trend of people fermenting like playing with sourdough during covid and i could see this movement rising of people wanting to take ownership of their food and fermentation becoming a thing um, so I, start, I decided to pick Koji as my um, anthropological uh, case, study. case study, let's say. So I looked at um, Koji in, as a like multi, in different like symbols, um, not just as an ingredient, but also as a way of connecting communities like the hashtag Koji Builds community that Richie started on Instagram, which now has over 22,000 um, tags. Um, so yeah, I started doing a multi, uh, multi-sided ethnography, as we call it. Uh, so I started interviewing people online, I attended KojiCon, uh, I started looking for academic resources, and surprisingly, maybe not, uh, there was not much um, written and still to this day you can find a lot of information on koji and other types of fermentation in terms of uh, science and what happens in the lab but there isn't many social um, social science writings about fermentation or especially koji in particular so a lot of things I had to dig out from personal interviews with fermenters and koji makers food activists and I then um, started an in-person like ethnography in London uh, from the community uh, of London, like people like Pao, Yelena, Melanie, Pratap. Um, then met Robin, and yeah, I ended up doing my dissertation on Koji. And because I was involved with all these amazing humans working with different types of fermentation as well, uh, I ended up getting into a bit of everything. Um, yeah, and then maybe I go back to your first question. <laughs> so where I'm going with this? Um, as my background is in managing operations, I do feel that fermentation can have a very big impact on the way we feed the masses. So thinking of events with like thousands of people or catering units and this and that. So. Uh, I've been appointed as the food and beverage director of uh, an annual event that takes place in a medieval castle in Poland. It's called the College of Extraordinary Experiences. And it's a five-day uh, immersive unconference where people from different parts of the world come to experience uh, different activities that change the way they think. Yeah, so it's not a typical conference. We can call it, let's say, an unconference. So my goal there for this year moving forward is to bring fermentation uh, at the center of how we will be feeding people for five days, uh, five meals a day, We're talking 80 to 120 people, including uh, our team members. And I've curated a team of chefs and scientists who work with fermentation <laughs> and we will be co-living for a month in a, ahead of the conference so that well, we can yeah to get the ferments done through the local farm so we've established relationship with local farms and also some uh, schools that use like uh, apples from a monastery for example in Germany because uh, it's just on the border with Germany 
Uh, so we'll be co-living and co-fermenting for a month and then we'll be feeding people of those ferments. <laughs> and I'm also planning to do some interactive and installations with ferments. Yep. <laughs> well, it's a lot of koji to be made. And who was your, you said you've curated an amazing team. Yeah, so my head chef is Pratap Shahal. Uh, on Instagram, he's that hungry chef. He's based in London, originally from India. We've been working together for maybe a year now because when I was, after I started my research, um, he asked me for help for some private supper clubs that he does. So ever since we worked really well together and then his sous chef also dear friend Melanie another lady based in London uh, she has her own uh, Japanese pickles brand using British ingredients especially seaweeds uh, speck I also have uh, Blanca de Noval a research gastronomic scientist from the Basque Culinary Center she'll be my R&D chef and a few more members that uh, I will disclose later in the coming months. <laughs> wow, that sounds amazing. And if people want to get tickets for this, is it already sold out? Uh, there are still spaces available actually. Uh, you can go to extraordinary.college, I think is the website. And there's an application um, form and different stages because uh, it is a truly immersive experience. So we do need to make sure that people who come to join this need to be mentally prepared to go through a lot of like life-changing <laughs> moments. <laughs> and this is also the reason we're keeping it um, alcohol-free uh, because we want people to be present and very like focus on their, all their senses into what's happening because this year's focus so every year has a different theme uh, this year will be focused on the senses so we have some professors scientists from around the world focusing on the senses and this is also why I, I wanted the team to be able to bring the multi-sensory dining element to our food and drink wow. and so how do you how do you incorporate the multi-sensory dining on a Oh, just a simple example, something that uh, our head chef Pratap already does in his supper clubs. You invite people to, for example, fold their eyes before you present them the food. And then you place a plate in front of them. You let them smell, you let them touch, you let them guess. Um, and then they get to taste. Uh, but there will be lots of different experiments going on. <laughs> might go back into the spirits and use koji in the whiskey world or, or do you see yourself doing classes or, or making miso or well to be honest I see my major project as so at the start of 2021 I set up an organization within the UK as you are both members of uh, called the Fermenters Guild which is a trade organization which catches all of the different and disparate fermenters that do weird stuff, whether it's kimchi or kombucha or koji or miso, whatever it is that is not covered by another trade organization. This is the umbrella that catches them all. And my main focus 
had to not only protect but promote different fermentation professionals across the UK because that can inherently change the world as I view it because fermentation is inherently a revolutionary act. You're doing something that is directly against the pedagogy of the current food system and I think by utilizing the combined professions and, professions and experience of all of the wonderful and incredible fermentation professionals across the UK because one of the incredible things about fermentation and the people who work in it is they didn't go to college to study fermentation they didn't they didn't no one learned it no one was taught it everyone just put this together from their own volition from their own adventures and they come from different places whether that's being a lawyer or a microbiologist or a um, brand designer or an architect um, or a fudge maker or a fudge maker indeed and I, uh, I, I really see myself as utilizing this as a tool for change which I, I think is incredibly important and I think that can provide us a tool to empower the general public and allow them to not be scared of food anymore and trust their own senses and believe that if you salt a cabbage and bang it in a jar you're not gonna freaking die you're not gonna be dead you're, you don't have to be scared of food and it doesn't have to be packaged and it doesn't have to be from Tesco you can trust your own senses so that's that's kind of my, my focus amazing I look forward to it the future is um, fermented future is garbage. <laughs> the future is garbage. Koji, please. The future is goji. Any last um, words, Eleni, before the, the Mac <laughs> De- um, is deceased? Well, I just want to say I feel very uh, blessed and happy to have found this fermentation community and our guild in the UK. Uh, and I'm very, very excited to be taking on the role of a community officer and uh, organizing more events and bringing more people together in the coming months and hopefully years and I recently even had people from abroad contacting me asking shall I move to the UK I want to be part of the guild <laughs> like <laughs> maybe you should maybe you can um, so yeah stay tuned and thank you for hosting Jonathan how, how does that make you feel Robin that people are uprooting themselves and traveling across the continent um, to become part of your group. <laughs> there, there actually has been one person from Germany in particular. Oh, mine was from Italy. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> there has been people from across Europe that have contacted me and clearly Eleni um, to move here, which is incredible. And uh, yeah, it makes me just full of joy that something that popped out of my brain and was complete nonsense has now become a thing um, that people believe in because they believe in fermentation. And it's not even mine. It's something that we all have within us and uh, no one owns the microbes. They're, they're common property. <laughs> the masters. Yeah, they are. They're our masters. Uh, amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your, uh, for your time. I'm looking forward to today at Sheep Grove. Mm-hmm. And um, hopefully I can get you both individually at some point. Absolutely, it's been a pleasure. I like the, the car. The car energy was fun. It 
phrase. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.